You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, I, uh, I can't tell you how honored I am to have as a friend this next man. Now, he always is waiting for openings where I'm going to give him a jab or two when he has his program. Not this morning. I, I just really consider this man a good friend, and he's very conscientious, and he cares for his friends. And uh, as typical, the last couple of years, this gentleman brought up into the announcer stand at the Burley Rodeo, absolutely now my newest, most favorite eating uh, accessory, if you will. It's maple bars with bacon. And I had one, and I, I got the box, and all of a sudden I turned around and there was about six bulldoggers and six calf ropers and some team ropers, and they all absconded with my bacon-covered maple bars. I was really offended by that. Good morning, Dr. History. <laughs> Good morning, Deb. Uh, you know, I, I, I used all the bacon we had. <laughs> so. I, I got to tell you, that is so delicious. And uh, everybody that was up there, and there was one guy, this is funny, is after you left and I, I had a bunch of paperwork to do and everything there with the secretary. And I watched this one guy come up and I says, hey, you want to try the greatest thing you ever had, uh, maple bar with bacon? And he wrinkled his nose and he's a great big burly bulldogger. And I said, oh, come on, tough up. I said, have one. And he ate it. He kind of inhaled it. And then he asked where he could buy some more. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I may have started something with that little booth, you know, because uh, I, I this year I had them put the bacon on and then put the maple over the bacon. Ooh. So uh, we that's what we'll do from now on. It makes it a little easier to eat. Well, to you, and of course, I also want to say thanks to Kate Cameron. I mean, you folks treated us so good over at that rodeo. God bless you, and I certainly hope you enjoyed the event that night. Oh, you know, I love the Farron Rodeo. I just time to meet friends and family and people that you haven't seen for a while i i just thoroughly enjoy the fair and rodeo every year well and again we appreciate your friendship so now here we are on august 21st and i know in your preparedness to always lead us down a historical path what have we got this morning unsung heroes really yeah Okay. Army surgeons on the frontier. Really? Now, now you think about uh, some of the foolish things that happened with Custer and Reno and some of these other guys that led their troops into some pretty bad things, foolish things, and they expect these Army surgeons to just fix everybody up. You know, and, now the Army surgeon with Custer, he didn't have to fix anybody up. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, he didn't have a whole lot of work. <laughs> but uh, the Army surgeons of the 1870s, they practiced medicine that was actually up to pretty much the highest standard of the time. And they practiced under some pretty severe circumstances that would really would intimidate probably the modern doctors of today. Mm -hmm. But they cared for the sick. They were themselves a lot of times in, in danger of contracting disease, uh, more so than anybody else. And while caring for the wounded... They were in great danger, too, from enemy attacks because they're out there 
you know, trying to fix people where there's arrows and guns and people, you know, things being shot all around them. So, but these military doctors were burdened with a lot of different responsibilities beyond just being a doctor. Mm-hmm. See, they had to see that the soldiers' living conditions were good, that the water supply was safe. They had to inspect the kitchens, supervise the hospital, maintain a pharmacy, and perform as a military officer. So they actually were on various boards and court martials. Yeah, but wait a minute. Let me ask you, though. Let me ask you a question right there. When you say they had to oversee the water supplies and all this other kind of stuff, um, now I'm assuming that we're primarily talking about the mid to latter 1870s. What was hygiene really like back in those days for a for a doctor or an army doctor? Well, I'm going to kind of get to that, I think. So uh, let me keep going here, and I think I think we'll get to that because uh, there's a lot of things that were discovered through the these military doctors and also through the Civil War, some things that were discovered, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes almost by accident. But, right. uh, uh, again, the, the military doctor was expected to accompany uh, out into the field on the campaigns. Uh, he had to be ready to take to the field whenever there was a conflict. Uh, so truly, these Army doctors were just as important to the military as the soldiers right. were. Yeah. So, But a qualified Army physician, especially one with war experience, understood the importance of isolating uh, soldiers during epidemics. And they actually knew of uh, sanitary precautions in building latrines, disposing of garbage, and they recognized the preventive value of personal hygiene. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we talked a little about that with some of our mountain men and one thing or another, that uh, personal hygiene may have not have been the, the top priority back then. Hey, let me ask you uh, this, though, Doc, if I can interrupt you just for a second again, because this is a topic that you would be surprised. We've had a lot of people call and write about. Were there societies before, like uh, maybe the, even the Egyptian societies, that were very concerned about personal hygiene? Oh, yeah. Yeah, many, many years ago. Uh, it's almost like... Uh, through the ages that there's things that were discovered and then lost and then discovered and then lost and we go back to England and uh, Europe I mean the great plague I mean uh, there's things that uh, got totally out of hand regarding uh, hygiene uh, that led to the black plague I see you know and uh, as far as the rats and the uh, things like that yeah yeah. So, yeah, it's been kind of an off-and-on thing uh, over the years. And back in the 1800s, it was kind of a lost art was personal hygiene. But these doctors, uh, like I say, they were some of the best. Now, um, at that time, too, unfortunately, there were also some doctors that were pretty much uh, kind of scoundrels. They would maybe get their doctorate degree from a, you know, a fake uh, university and go about trying to treat people mm. and take their money. But these guys were really skilled uh, in the treatment of injuries. Uh, they, were, they were aware of the complications of infection from fractures. And, um, and they knew also to not get too um, overzealous in attempting to remove bullets and arrows from the chest or the abdomen. Really? Uh, in other words, sometimes they just left them. Uh, in fact, I think it was Jim Bridger that had an arrow in his back for several years until uh, Marcus Whitman removed it. Yeah, it's kind of hard to go into a clothing store and buy a shirt that'll fit over an arrow. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you know, you have to poke a little hole there. You know? <laughs> but uh, again, this doctor, these doctors, they were ready to uh, work in uh, field hospitals that were hastily put up, and uh, they were trained to move patients when necessary because, you know, sometimes the battle didn't go too good, and they had to be moving these people out. Uh, but, and again, in, in addition to their official duties, caring for the soldiers, uh, 
a lot of them treated sick and injured uh, civilians, including, you know, at that time, a lot of migrating settlers, you know, uh, travelers, and, and a lot of local Indians they, they would treat. And at the end of the Mexican War in 1848, the government actually sent the army out to build posts on the frontier uh, to protect the, the migrating caravans mm-hmm. of Americans moving to Oregon, California. And uh, although Congress never formally authorized the army to give civilians medical treatment, they did. I mean, the post, you know, these forts, they would take in injured and sick travelers, and I mean, uh, they had mili- they had medical supplies that were available. So obviously, they were going to take care of anybody that was coming through. Did most of the old forts, um, I'm trying to think of the disease that was the most prominent. Was it like dysentery and other things that really were prominent in the old forts and stockades because of the confinement? Yeah, dysentery, typhoid, cholera were probably the three worst. And dysentery came with both of those. Yeah. With cholera and typhoid. Yeah. yeah, That was, uh, you know, that that would just run rampant through camps, uh, through wagon trains, things like that. Yeah. That uh, again, caring for so many people was not an easy task for these in these remote locations, in these military camps, and a lot of times there was delays before doctors and equipment and medicine could get out to these forts. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, at Fort Laramie in Wyoming in 1850, uh, one of the surgeons he said, uh, he said, I presume I saw and prescribed for every sick immigrant passing the fort, and many more necessary left under my charge. So. Like I say, they were a great help in settling of the West, even though they were military doctors. I don't think we appreciate, and you've elaborated on this numerous times, I don't think we today, you sitting on the phone on your end, me on the microphone on this end, we don't appreciate the health hazards that those people, our pioneers, faced every single day, 24-7. Right, and, and I'm going to talk a, few, a little bit more about some of those things that we don't even think about today. But, you know, some of these volunteer doctors uh, actually carried out uh, health programs for civilians, and they actually equipped their horses with special saddlebags that had medicines, uh, instruments, and uh, they actually even had mule-drawn ambulance uh, that they would uh, sometimes take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one famous case, and you've heard of this guy, Lieutenant Walter Reed. Yes. Uh, he was a surgeon at Fort Robinson, Nebraska, and he treated an old uh, guy named uh, Sandoz, and because uh, he had a crushed ankle. Well, the fracture after 18 days had become infected. It was draining. It was ugly. It was swollen, discolored, and this guy was delirious. He was basically he would have died if uh, if he hadn't been such a strong guy. But uh, he was gonna. This Dr. Walter Reed was going to cut off uh, his leg uh, or his foot, and uh, this guy said. He says, if you cut off my foot, he says, I'm going to shoot you. Hmm. And so Dr. Reed, uh, basically, he didn't do the amputation. He treated the infected wound uh, probably almost like they would today. They would take away the dead tissue, remove any foreign objects, bones, clothing, dirt, uh, things like that. And after two months of keeping the wound open, uh, this guy survived and went on to live many years. Really? Okay. But, uh, you know, riding on expeditions and riding out to treat civilians meant Army doctors spent a lot of time in the saddle. In fact, uh, this one doctor, uh, Dr. Sabin, he figured that he, over a 15-year period, that he traveled 10,180 miles on horseback. Really? Just, just on horseback. So. You know, it's interesting that you say this, um, and help me on this, because I'm trying to remember. I don't think there ever was a Hollywood Western 
or TV series about frontier doctors. Was there? Well, you know, uh, besides that um, that lady, medicine. Uh, what oh, was that? Uh, medicine woman. Yeah, uh, yeah. But again, these weren't military doctors. I see. You know, Doc on Gunsmoke was he was just a town doctor. But yep. The military doctors, you don't hear anything about them, as far as I know. Yeah. So. But, you know, sometimes what would happen with these Army doctors, if they were in a fort, uh, for additional income, sometimes they'd go back and forth to the local town and, and also treat uh, people kind of uh, as a private practice, too. I see. But um, anyway, uh, you know, during the Indian Wars, a lot of the, uh, uh, the Army became desperate for doctors, and they would hire these contract doctors, and uh, these men were given no rank and no uniform and a number of these doctors unfortunately had flunked out of uh, the army had a test in order to be a doctor and sometimes these rules were bent just a little bit to get some of these guys in because the the test was actually pretty rigid really pretty tough but and that's why the quality of doctors in the military was was pretty high hmm. but during the civil war you know there's more soldiers that died of disease on the battlefield than by bullets and in that conflict there was essentially no sanitation you know, one Civil War doctor later described his experience. He'd say, he said, we operated in our blood-stained and often uh, pus-stained coats. We used undisinfected instruments from uh, undisinfected cases, and, and they'd use sponges that they'd use time after time, and all they did was rinse them out in cold tap water. If an instrument fell on the floor, they just picked it up, wiped it off, and, and kept going. You know, the um, I can't imagine really why there were any soldiers from the Civil War that had been wounded that would live because of the infection factor. Because knowing how little the doctors knew about hygiene and, and personal care and infection, it's surprising that anybody lived. Right. And, you know, they, and again, I, said, I mentioned earlier that they kind of slowly discovered this, and gradually they grew a better appreciation of the importance of sanitation. Yeah. And medical care of soldiers uh, has always improved from war to war. In the Civil War, uh, the mortality from disease was about 53 uh, per thousand soldiers, and then during the Spanish-American War, it dropped to about 16 per thousand. And in World War One, there's only 12 men per thousand that died from uh, unrelated battle wow. incidences. So, like I say, they learned, you know, over the years, but Nevertheless, you know, at these frontier posts during the Indian Wars, very few commanding officers understood the, the value of prevention of illnesses, and a lot of times they were not willing to support the doctor's efforts in mm -hmm. better sanitation. They, mm -hmm. I guess they just figured they knew more than the doctor, and so even though the doctor tried to watch the water supply and the food supply, sometimes they were overruled by uh, some overzealous officers and uh, and they didn't, like I said, they didn't think too much of the doctor's uh, recommendations. I read a book someplace recently, uh, a kind of a fiction story, but really it had some true accounts to it, that a town in the Old West that developed cholera, I believe, in their water supply, the main city water supply, in less than 16 hours, most of the citizens had died. Is that really true? Yes. Uh, uh, let me get to that in just a second. Let me cover a couple more things, and then I'm going to get to cholera and typhoid. So uh, in 1898, during the war with Spain, there were 20,000 cases of typhoid. Oh, my. And more than 1,500 of those were fatal, compared to only 280 soldiers killed in action. Mm. So typhoid wiped out more than, than the war did. 
uh, and during the Indian Wars, part of the problem was that army pay was so low, living conditions so bad, and that uh, they take almost any volunteer. And so here again, the soldiers, uh, poor personal hygiene, they were crowded into not very good barracks, you know, poorly ventilated. And so, um, so the doctors watched real close for epidemics, and uh, uh, cholera was one of the worst. And it was, there was usually a sudden onset, usually excruciating abdominal cramps, diarrhea, massive loss of fluids, which led to dehydration. And cholera was one of the most rapidly fatal conditions. I mean, and what you just said, sometimes death occurred within a few hours. Right. And the need to replace lost fluids was not understood. Um, See, back in the day, they figured that the body fluids were what caused disease, and that's why they would use things to cause vomiting and diarrhea and bleeding. Uh, they would bleed people. Well, again, that was the worst thing you could do because you were not re- you were depleting body fluids. Yeah. Now, on so. cholera, for instance, uh, was there an opportunity? Had they known, could the water per se have been boiled and boiled out the germs, and it would have been be able to be used or not? Yeah, I think they could have, definitely there's some things that could have been done to prevent this, uh, mm-hmm. the cholera. And typhoid was another epidemic that struck military camps yeah. and other groups. And this especially was from ingesting uh, water that was contaminated with human feces. Right. So typhoid was even worse as far as uh, the uh, ingesting bad water. Now, how did that spread through, like, wagon trains in the entire camp? I mean, when typhus hit like a wagon train, I mean, it must have spread like wildfire. Well, I think probably because whenever they came to a water supply, everybody filled up their water bottles at the same spot. Yeah. So if it was bad water... You know, pretty much everybody uh, would would be getting it. It's amazing that our wagon trains and our pioneers made it across the country at all. Well, it really is, and, and we're just talking about disease. We're not even talking about injuries. Yeah. So, and then then you get into malaria. You know, I mean, malaria was a bad deal, uh, and that was more in the warmer climate. But uh, you know, by the 1880s, uh, most of these doctors appreciated the value of I- isolation rest and nursing care. They no longer purged and bled patients. And during the Civil War, uh, you know, they did that purging stuff, and they just found that uh, it caused more deaths than it prevented. So, wow. uh, so they pretty well quit the uh, the purging, uh, uh, you know, uh, throwing up and, and bleeding, one thing or another like that. So, And then you get into scurvy, which is just basically poor nutrition from lack of vitamin C. And because a, a soldier's diet was typically meat, bread, lard, coffee, hardtack, uh, miners, immigrants, they all pretty much, that's about all they had. How do you go about just eating lard? <laughs> I don't know. That just doesn't sound real good to me. No, I mean, they didn't have the option of going to the Cache County Fair and having maple bars with bacon. I mean, these people just didn't live for the good stuff in life. <laughs> I know it. I know. Well, and sugar, you know, sugar was a, a pretty rare commodity. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, any time they got sugar, man, boy, that it went fast. What did they uh, use to sweeten things up? Molasses was about the only thing I can think of. Yeah, or honey, if they were able to find uh, some honeybees or, yeah. you know. So, but, uh, uh, you know, again, scurvy was, was a bad deal. It, it was called the explorer's disease because so many of these 
like the ships and the ones that, that would be out to sea, they didn't have any type of source of vitamin C. Mm. So, uh, but they did find that uh, some of these explorers, uh, if they learned to eat green herbs and wild garlic, and I've never seen this in the woods, but they say that it's out there, that they got enough vitamin C that it that they did okay. What did they take for vitamin C, though? I mean, what are some of the other sources that they could have used? Well, of course, any any type of fruit. Yeah. Again, yeah. so uh, hard to come by. Yeah. And you just you just didn't have them because typically you had to carry stuff that would keep for you know several months. Wow. I just absolutely am amazed as to how tough, how absolutely, I don't know, they, they, they were just a different breed of cat. Yeah. Now, one thing that these military doctors did do, uh, as they discovered this, is when they get, would get to a fort, they would start growing a garden. Really? Yeah. And so they would actually, uh, that would be their first line of defense against scurvy out here in the West. So a lot of these doctors learned how to grow their own gardens and, and uh, keep uh, keep their soldiers healthy. You know, but, when you, I'm almost out of time, but I wish, can you do more on this next week on the, on the doctors on the frontier and everything? This is fascinating to me because uh, you've touched on this in the past, but now uh, talking about military doctors and also the civilian doctors and everything and the hardships that our forefathers went through is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing, and I, I didn't even get to, you know, tarantula bites, wild animals, uh, rabies. Oh, my. Uh, you know, uh, in uh, gangrene. Uh, I mean, <laughs> like I said, the, the list just goes on and on of the, the difficulties that these doctors had to work with. Oh, my goodness. Not very good circumstances. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is a true friend, and I mean that. Dr. Uh, History, Dr. Ken Turner, and I really appreciate everything that you do on this program, and uh, I really want to say thank you for the maple bars and your, your coming up in the booth and God's blessings to you. Well, thanks, Zeb. I, as you guys were announcing and Randy was in the arena, I thought, it's just not going to be the same <laughs> if this ever changes. Well, I hope it doesn't, but you know, uh, you got to wait for the contract and see what happens, but I, I certainly would like to come back again and and uh, work with my old friend, Randy yeah, Munns. He, and he's really old. Oh, yeah, he's an he, antique. He's older than you and I. Yeah, he, he, his wife, Linda, just puts him up on the shelf and dusts him occasionally. <laughs> Well, it's fun. I sure enjoy that. Well, God bless you, and we'll see you next week, okay? Okay. You have a good day, Zach. Dr. History. I'll tell you what, there is a straight shooter. I really like that guy.